0: person from, an, you know, Indian descent to
1: make it into British wrestling was kind of unheard of. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. Tonight, The people's prince will be crowned your people. Doing?
0: I'm doing amazing, Tom. Such a pleasure to be on this. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Thank you, sir. It's a, it's an exciting time because Terriers are back.
0: The Terriers are back. Huddersfield Town back in action. I mean, we're struggling right now. Considering last season, we were, we were in the Premier League, albeit the worst team in the Premier League in history. This season. We're struggling to see in this championship. So that part of me was like, I'm hoping it's null and void this season. <laughs> but no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid we're back.
1: You, but, uh, so you're not feeling massively confident about coming back?
0: I know, I think we'll be all right. We've got a good manager in Danny Cowley, who's just, you know, he's, he's a young, up and coming manager. He's managed Lincoln City uh, in the past, and wonders with them. And yeah, I've I've got confidence, but. We needed to do a bit of repairing after last season because last season was horrendous, horrendous.
1: How long have you been a Terriers fan?
0: Yeah, well, since I was about 12. I think, when I, yeah, when I was 12 years old, my brother supports Liverpool and... Um, Huddersfield were drawn against Liverpool in the FA Cup. And he bought tickets for me to go watch Huddersfield versus Liverpool. I thought, brilliant, love it. I'd love to go watch Liverpool. Ended up going there, supporting Huddersfield all my life. I thought, they're more local. Why wouldn't I support Huddersfield? Um, and I'll tell you something. It's it's it, it pains me like that I support them. It is the worst feeling. But that... But when they, when I was at Wembley, when they got promoted to the Premier League and I was like, I cannot believe Huddersfield Town are in the Premier League and they were playing people like Manchester United and beating Manchester United. It was unbelievable. So if that is the best time Huddersfield ever have, then I'm glad that I was part of it. You love them, but you hate them. Just like wrestling. You love it, but you hate it. But <laughs> you'll be there every week though, right? <laughs>
1: We want to shine a light on some of the wrestling that you love. I mean, and we're yes. going to send you onto a desert island to do that. Wow! Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're going to burn a DVD featuring three wrestling matches that you'd love to watch over and over again. What would you like your first match to be? My first match that I would like to be on this DVD would be The
0: Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 17. Oh,
1: that's in his home state of Texas. No doubt it was good reason, because Stone Cold Steve Austin is a man of integrity. Stone Cold Steve Austin has backed up everything he has ever said in his career. But tonight, tonight, Stone Cold Steve Austin must take the championship from the Rock.
0: I'm not sure if you've seen any of my matches, Tom, but if you have, I feel sorry for you.
1: <laughs> Mate, I was there with you. you. You, you tried to beat me up on multiple occasions when.
0: Yes, that's right. The shenanigans right, happening. Right.
1: It's all right. I forgive you. That. That's a different. <laughs> that's a different multiverse. It's fine.
0: My wrestling style is character-based. Um, I really enjoy the storytelling aspect of things. I mean, I listen listen to Rampage Brown's. Uh, Desert Island grabs the other day and he was really into the intense, you know, fighting style and, you know, and that's brilliant. I, I mean, I, I enjoy that as well. But I'd like to be thoroughly entertained. These two, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, were not the greatest wrestlers of all time. They were not, you know, the strongest people of all time. But both of them oozed charisma. Oozed character. And that's what sold this pay-per-view to me personally. WrestleMania 17. It was just like, here's The Rock, one of the greatest characters, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, versus Stone Cold Steve Austin from the Attitude Era, ass whooping, kicking ass. it's you know, it, it, how many people get to be up the boss? Stone Cold Steve Austin got to be up the boss. And I was like, these characters are absolutely amazing. Both of them in one match. I mean, they did it before. They did it before, but this one was probably the best time that they ever did it. And it had to be because of the finish. The, I mean, the finish at the end, I know we're skipping a lot of it, but the finish in the end, the whole story leading up to it was Stone Cold saying, I need to be the champion. I need to win the title. Because he needed that. He needed to be the champion. And what he did in the end, he joined forces with this, with Satan himself, as JR said. Um, he joined forces with Vince McMahon to become the champion. The story is absolutely amazing. And that, that's, for me that's what wrestling is Um, I mean I love two guys just wrestling however if I wanted to see two guys wrestling and super real I'd probably watch UFC which I do watch I watch UFC quite often but when I want to be entertained I turn to professional wrestling and that was entertainment at its finest at its finest
1: As somebody who is, like yourself, so drawn to the story element of wrestling, the the finish of that match really divides wrestling fans. The idea that after years and years of rivalry, Steve Austin and Vincent Mann are now allies, and it's something that they're doing in Texas, which is like Stone Cold's back garden. What are your thoughts on the finish to that match?
0: I watched it back just the other day. I, I was thinking this is, has to be one of my, my most favorite matches and I needed to remember why it was one of, one of the best matches I've ever seen. I watched the finish but if you watch the finish what Stone Cold does is absolutely amazing right he never really acknowledges Vince McMahon until the deed is done until he has the title. So he, Vince McMahon comes in, slides, slides the chair Stone Cold uses the chair, the rock still kicks out. Stone Cold hits rock bottom, the the rock hits uh, something, I can't remember what it is, something on Stone Cold, Stone Cold still kicks out, Vince McMahon has to interrupt the pin, this kind of stuff. Stone Cold is shouting orders at Vince, but, but doesn't acknowledge that he's with Vince McMahon until the very end. And now that he's got the title, now that he's got what he wanted, he will now shake hands with the devil, with Vince McMahon. And I personally loved it because from a from a sportsman perspective, everybody wants to be the best, right? And some people are willing to do some crazy things like, for example, cyclists, some cyclists abusing steroids, even like athletes abusing performance enhancing drugs. Some people are willing to bend the rules, cheat a little bit to get to the peak, to the top. That story right there is what that Stone Cold portrayed there is exactly in the same vein as everything that you've just seen um, in professional sports. Um, some people, they just they will do anything to be the best, and they he just joined he just joined forces with Vince McMahon, the very person that he's been like slating for years and years and years absolutely whooping his ass for years and years and years i mean the fact that it was in texas as well i mean the reaction the reaction was like mixed nobody really knew how to react uh, because it was like well we want to see stone call win the title but then it's like but he's just joined forces who's so been so man like what what is going on but but the following weeks we we've got to find out what Stone Cold's character is like and that's what was great about Stone Cold because I'm not saying Stone Cold was ever straight, uh, well stale but he was this working man whooping ass he was you know beating up the boss and then now you see this extra layer of the character which is like I want to be the best and I'm prepared to do anything to be the best
1: and it added such a huge dimension to Stone Cold's character I thought it was it was fantastic where were you when you watched that match first time round in my parents house and i was supposed to be going to school the next day and i stayed up to
0: watch that and sky sports i believe i don't know if it was box office back then but i think it was i think it was just at sky sports and yeah and i watched that and i remember i couldn't sleep and I remember, honestly, like for, like it finished well about four o'clock or something like that in UK time, four o'clock in the morning. And I remember I couldn't sleep. I was And I kept looking at the clock, and it was six o'clock. And I was like, I have to be up in one hour to try and get ready to go to school. Well, needless to say, I didn't turn up to school the next morning.
1: <laughs> How did you get out of uh, school?
0: Well, I just told my mom that I was really ill. And oh, uh, the, fact, the, fact I had, yeah, the fact that I had really red eyes, uh for this you know because i didn't sleep kind of helped i think <laughs> it helped that um you know she thought i was ill so yeah I, I got out of it but it was amazing i mean it kept me awake because i kept thinking Whoa like back then i was really into wrestling like i really like i The key to me is I watch all wrestling as a fan even though I know what goes on behind the scenes and everything like that the first and foremost you have to watch wrestling as a fan and you have to watch it and see what are they trying to portray before you start critiquing just watch it and you know and see see what happens and I just kept thinking where are they going to go with this what's the next step what is happening you know what I mean what what Stone Cold has just done something here which is completely out of character as, as Stone Cold you know so what's What's the next thing? And the whole thing really intrigued me. I really, I mean, even Stone Cold as a heel, I know Stone Cold himself probably doesn't agree with the fact that he went heel at that time. He said probably it was bad timing, but I'll tell you what, it it was entertaining TV. Um, I enjoyed it as a fan.
1: How did you um, discover wrestling at such a young age? When I was in junior school, so
0: i roughly about uh, seven years old um, I, d- I mean I didn't know what wrestling was uh, but I remember um, my next door neighbour used to have these like wrestling cards they were like trading cards and I remember he used to do these like magic tricks almost with them and he'd be like he'd have this huge pile and he'd be like I'm going to cut anywhere in the deck and I'm going to pick out Warlord and he'd, <laughs> he'd just cut anywhere and pick out Warlord and I'd be like who is Warlord? But that's a pretty awesome trick. Uh But then, so then I started asking him, like, w- what is this? And then he, like, we didn't have Sky at this time. He had Sky. He was my next door neighbor. His name's John Paul Sturdy. Big shout out if you're listening, <laughs> John Paul i owe you big time Uh, but so i used to like crowd around every saturday watch superstars uh watch wrestling at his house just to try and understand what it is and back then i was seven years old everything's real i'm just like this is unbelievable two huge guys fighting and you know i was fully drawn into it and i think i watched it the first time the first match i ever watched i'm pretty sure of what i can recall was Bret Hart versus Barbarian on Superstars. And I had no idea who Bret Hart was. I had no idea who Barbarian was. I have no idea if even if it was a good match. All I remember is I saw that and I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. And that was it. I, I was hooked ever since. Then ever since that, every Saturday I went to his. If I couldn't go to his, if he was away, I went to my other friends, convinced my parents to get Sky. Next thing you know, I'm aspiring to be a professional wrestler.
1: I've said previously, and I was really flattered that we we are the same hive mind completely by accident, which is you compared wrestling to to magic in the sense that once you sort of discover that it's all sort of a trick, once you see sort of the wires and see behind the scenes, you either are upset that you've been cheated or you want to find out more. That's exactly. I love
0: magic. I and I don't know if I've ever been around you backstage, but if I have some playing cards, I will try and show you some magic <laughs> because that's just the type of person that I am. I mean, I love the fact that I was, I was fooled by wrestling for so long until I got to the point where I realized that it wasn't as real as I thought it was. My instincts straight away were, well, how did you fool me? Like, how, how did that happen? Uh, like, like, how did i allow that to happen it's almost like i'm very i'm intrigued like how i uh, it's almost like i feel bad that that i got fooled but then i also want to know how you did it but from from me, like there's a lot of friends, a lot of friends that I have who uh, you know uh, were watching wrestling, but as soon as they hit the, their teens, fall out of love with wrestling. They go into football or some other sports or something like that, and they just say, "Oh, it's all fake, it's all fake." And you know what? I you have to respect them for that. If they don't enjoy, it, they don't enjoy. it. But for me, it was a case of how how do they make it look so real, and how do they keep people tuning in? even though people know that it's not as real as you think it is. Um, I mean, magic does exactly that. I mean, I'd like to think that magic doesn't exist, (laughs) but we never know. Uh, But magic is just, you know, trickery.
1: What was the first magic trick you learned?
0: Okay, so the first magic trick was I get four kings, and the four kings, they're... they fly in by helicopter, so you show the four kings, and they fly by helicopter, and they land on the top at the top of the deck, and then one king goes to the bottom, starts stealing everything from the basement. Another thing, go- another the next two kings go to the middle of the deck, starts uh, stealing um, everything from from the main part of the bank. But one king stays on top, and you show that one king. one king stays on top. The next thing you know, the king hears sirens, so he gets on his walkie-talkie and says, guys, you need to grab everything you can and get to the top. You know, we need to go. And then all of a sudden, without any, you know, movement of any cards, without any cutting the four kings appear at the top and they fly away in the helicopter. One day, Tom, I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show this audience that. I'm going to film that. I'm going to show you it. But, yeah, it, I, I just couldn't believe. I mean, once you know how it's done, it's incredibly disappointing.
1: <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Sold. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but um, but no, I, I, mean, I love magic. I, honestly, I, I still try and learn magic tricks all the time. I love sleight of hand, trickery, um, anything like that. So, um, I mean, I'll frequently, frequently carry around with me a pack of cards. I remember showing Cody Rhodes a magic trick at uh, WCPW one time. He was in awe. And, uh, <laughs> no, I love it. I, I think backstage as well, I'm always that kind of character where I'm always like, you know, we have a tendency in wrestling for everything to get a bit too serious, and then you forget that we're in the entertainment business and if we're, if everything is very serious backstage, then how can you really enjoy yourself out there when i'm out there, you can see me enjoying myself when i'm when I'm a good guy or when I'm a bad guy, you can see me enjoying that i'm a bad guy, and because you see me enjoying that you're more willing to you know oh, yeah, this guy's a bad guy, yeah, we're going to boo him, or this guy's a good guy, let's cheer him. Um, So in order to create that kind of atmosphere backstage, I'd like to carry around playing cards or, you know, just play the odd practical joke or something. I'm always that kind of character. I like to keep spirits up, really. It's not something i I I have to play a part. Uh, It's not like a part that I feel I have to play, play. I just feel like everyone as their monday to fridays which might be incredibly boring and then when they come out on their friday evening saturday evening or saturday daytime whatever it is and they congregate with all their friends let's just all have a nice time
1: before you were doing card tricks for Cody Rhodes in a locker room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think we'd we'll get you a gig on AEW now if you had time. Yeah, I think. I think <laughs> I'm think i still waiting for that call-up. Okay, <laughs> it's it's coming. It's coming. Don't stress. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, yeah. Um, once you realised that wrestling was sleight of hand and magic and you wanted to find yeah. out more, where did you go to learn the art? Very early 2000. I'm saying 2001. The internet was
0: just recently discovered Um, and um, I I tried to look everywhere for wrestling schools and I I was finding it incredibly hard and uh, it's it's a lot like magic in the way that there's the magic circle. There wasn't many training schools. The only one I could find on the internet was in Portsmouth. Now, I'm based around Huddersfield slash Leeds, so that's 250 miles away. I needed to get a job working in a restaurant as a waiter. And I used to get paid £15 a day. And I saved up, went down in 2002, I believe it was. And it, it was the first ever training session I did. It was a week long camp. It was also the first training session of a certain Drew Galloway, also known as Drew McIntyre. Yeah, I saw him not so long ago. And I just said, you know, remember how we went to the training school? That was our first training session. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, We've had such contrasting careers.
1: <laughs>
0: I wish him all the best and he's such a nice guy. He always has time for me as well, which is great. If I travel 250 miles from Leeds slash Huddersfield area, he had to come from Glasgow, so he's traveling an extra 200 miles. So he's traveling 450 miles to get to a training school. It just shows. I mean, there's a reason why he's at the top of where he is right now. And it's because he was that determined to do it. Fair play to the guy, all that hard work has paid off now, hasn't it? A week-long training camp where we learned just the basics, the foundations, um, and at the end of it, I think uh, we we put together a match with one of our fellow trainees. He um, wasn't in front of an audience or anything like that. It was just in, like, a little dungeon, little warehouse with two rings set up, and we were just running drills, learning the basics, um, learning just foundations, like t- how to tie up, how to take a wrist lock, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, w- it was all essential. Um, and before, like I always think, like as entertainers, we always want to go out there and entertain and do all this crazy stuff, and we want to do like all these crazy moves to entertain crowds. But what's on the bill is wrestling, and that, that's always on on a poster, wrestling. So if you can't actually go out and wrestle, then what are people paying to see? Portsmouth was a one-off, but. Uh, two hundred and fifty miles was you know one way so five hundred mile return that was a bit much for me, but I did look around and found uh, a school in Newcastle um, under the name of w z w wrestle zone wrestling and that was only a two hundred mile trip around so I thought this is way more doable than Portsmouth so i found um yeah I found a school in uh, newcastle uh, in, it was in I think it was Walker. Walker, a place called Walker in Newcastle and If you know Walker at all, Tom, it is a rough side of. <laughs>
1: it's a it's a it's a feisty place. It's, it's, it's a feisty. Put it, it that way. That's a polite way of saying
0: it. It's a polite <laughs> way of saying it, Tom. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, so I I used to make the journey journey up every week. After that, that was every Sunday, and we used to train for about six hours. What I envy now of people is that they have training schools. Um, at their doorstep. So, you know, they can do a training on a Thursday night, they can do a training on Saturday Saturday or wherever it is. So I envy that um of that's what people have now. But on the other hand <clears throat> they will never know the dedication that you would need to be able to do those kind of journeys every week. And I feel that because they don't have that dedication of doing those journeys every week, some of the passion for wrestling may be lost. You could go to a training school and be wrestling there, well, training there for about three, four months, and then next thing you know, you're on a show. Um, You're performing in front of a paying audience. And I'll be honest with you, three, four months into my training, I was nowhere near ready for a... To wrestle in front of a paying audience, and I actually went three years before I was allowed in front of a, a paying audience. But um, I, I'm so grateful for it because there's a word of advice I was always given. And It's like you never get a you never get a second chance of making a first impression, and I want to make sure that my first impression is a good impression. So with those with that three years, I've managed to get myself to an acceptable level. So when I go out there, people can be like, oh well, he's pretty good. I'll keep an eye on him. Whereas if I went there after three months and, you know, I just stunk up the place, if I came out three months later and I was, you know, drastically improved, people will still remember the first me. So, yeah, I'm kind of grateful for the training that I had. And I, I didn't mind at all doing making the journey because uh, I, there's a real good bunch of guys up there there's a lot of people that you might be familiar with people like Jamie Ahmed um, Mick, Mickey Limerick I mean those two guys especially because I used to make the journeys and I didn't have a car at this point so I used to you know catch several trains to get up there um, and sometimes I'd miss the train back because I'm out there flyering for a show or something like that and these guys would you know put me up in their homes um, so yeah I owe a lot to those
1: guys People who may not remember Prince Amin in two thousand and five, but they may certainly remember Bojo Pervito. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ah-ha! Coming to me from Tijuana Mexico. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I lost my Vitos. Los Pobitos. Los Pobitos have fast become two of my favourite wrestlers. There's Mojo oh, and Tim Pobitos. They come play and more than anybody I've ever met. And apparently, twin twin brothers, Mexican twin the brothers, brother. separated birth and now reunited. Steve. Oh
0: my goodness! Okay, so first of all, I can't believe you dug this. up. Oh but, um,
1: yeah, mate, we dig this.
0: <laughs> so Tim Strange. That's his actual name. It's not even a gimmick name. His name is Tim Strange. He's actually one of the most loveliest people that I'll ever meet. I'll ever meet in life. We still keep in contact, even though he doesn't wrestle as much. Um, and we have quite a you know distance apart. But he's such a lovely guy. He came over from Canada on his own to start a life in England. He had dual citizenship, so he came over here, and he loved wrestling. He actually trained... At the dungeon, um, though you'll never know it, because if you ever watch him wrestle, you'd think no way has he trained at the dungeon. He's that terrible. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, he had some good he had some good contacts. But he he was I think we were kind of like lost souls because what happened was when we went to WZW, there's obviously as the a northeast bunch, they're all they all know each other, they're all you know familiar with each other, or they are you know they can talk about things that relate to them or talk about, you know, a, a place in town that everybody's familiar with, whereas me and Tim, because I was from out of town and Tim was from Canada, like, we kind of just, you know, came together because we we weren't familiar with everything. So, yeah, but he's such a lovely guy and he's a great guy. And I think the name Los Pervitos, now, that is a terrible name, a terrible idea, but I think we stole this from... Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero, who were the Los Guerreros at the time, I believe, mm-hmm. and um, they had the, they had the you know they had the catchphrase, they had the line, which is we lie, we cheat, we steal, and we were like that is us. We do the same, but we also are, you know perv on women. So <laughs> so now the name is Los Pavitos And we actually wrestled with that. We went out there. We pretended to be Mexican twin brothers. He is a white Canadian. I mean, whiter than white. He's a redneck Canadian. And I am of Indian descent. However, we went out there and pretended to be Mexican brothers in a tag team. Not even just any Mexican brothers, sorry. Mexican twin brothers. It was ridiculous. I'd like to erase this from my memory, please, Tom. (laughs)
1: How about about we move on to your next match, then? Let's move on from Los Pervitos. Thank you. Is the second match a Los Pervitos match or not?
0: No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, I wish it was, but we didn't have any noteworthy. (laughs) What is
1: your second match, then, for your DVD, sir?
0: Okay, my second match for my DVD is Shawn Michaels versus Triple H that was at a Raw on the 20th of December 2003 now this match just to give you some backstory was in San Antonio, Texas the home of Shawn Michaels and he was granted a world heavyweight championship opportunity against Triple
1: H. We are back live on Monday Night Raw. A capacity crowd on hand here in San Antonio, Texas. We're about to see the world's heavyweight championship decided. That man, Shawn Michaels, has come home to meet his former best friend, Triple H for the heavyweight championship of the world. And we are watching it live here on Monday Night Raw. Boy, there is electricity in this arena, JR. These fans want Shawn Michaels to become the world heavyweight champion so bad they can taste it.
0: Everything about this match is amazing. From, I mean, the second Shawn Michaels comes out, the crowd are electric. This is a hometown hero. This is an opportunity for the hometown hero to win the title. The whole match, everything about that match is pure entertainment. Now, it's not the most technical match. I can't say enough good things about this because this was in 2003 and I would just freshly started training to be a professional wrestler. When I saw this match... I remember thinking, this is absolutely amazing. This is exactly what I want to do. The crowd were unbelievable. Jim Ross on commentary was absolutely phenomenal. He told the story brilliantly because there were so many things that they were doing. Like, for example, um, Shawn Michaels is on fire, on fire, on fire. The next thing you know, Triple H backdrops Shawn Michaels to the outside. Shawn Michaels falls to the outside. He actually falls like almost on his feet but Jim Ross straight away told the story of Shawn Michaels injured back and it's like oh he landed awkwardly there and he could he could have really hurt his back there it really hurt his back next thing you know Triple H is throwing in backbreakers, and now oh my god you you feel the pain that Shawn Michaels is in all we're doing is watching wrestling we're watching two people play fighting however whilst watching it you're urging Shawn Michaels. You're like, come on, you've got to fight through this pain. You want to... You, you this is your opportunity. You could be the champion. You could be, you, you know, in front of your hometown.
1: It'd be the first sort of full year of the brand split. Triple H had this reign of terror, as people called it, on top of the company. We'd seen Goldberg make his debut in 03. Uh, and a lot of people felt that Triple H had held the belt for an unnecessary amount of time. But a match like this remind you of why he's in that position because he was able very much like rick flair in the 80s to to really buy in to make you buy into tonight is the night tonight's the night he's yeah. losing the belt and he was able to do that with so many competitors and somehow always eke out a win and so there's a lot of story to be told there um i, I
0: that's it um the thing with triple h is and and uh, like he is one of my influences in my wrestling career i mean i do a pedigree for a finish for god's sake i mean he's one of my influences. uh but uh, what, one thing i mean there's a lot of bad things that can be said about triple h and there's a lot of things i can't argue against but one thing i will defend him on is is um his character um and the fact that he held the title for that long the reason that he, I feel that he needed to hold the title for that long is so that he could, you know, he could position himself as the top heel, the top bad guy. Now everybody wants to see the bad guy lose. And if you if you genuinely hate this person, you will pay to watch him lose. Roddy Piper is a perfect example of this. He just goes out there, annoys everybody. People genuinely wanted to beat him up, genuinely wanted to, you know, watch him lose. And that's what makes a really good heel. And I think some of it right now is, is lost. I mean, especially in my early parts of the career. And I, I, I took lots of that. I took lots of that. And I wanted to be a heel. I wanted to be a bad guy. I wanted to, you know, I didn't do any autographs after the shows. Um, I didn't have any T-shirts to sell or anything like that. I just, this is my role. I'm a bad guy. Um I mean, nowadays, I think we are a bit more open. Like, we kind of understand, you know, wrestling, people are playing characters and things like that. But, you know, if I'm a magician and you've just seen me as Moj, the magician in all my get-up on, on stage, right, and you just see, and I've just painted this picture of that guy, this, I can do this crazy magic and I have. I can talk to different levels of, whatever uh, universes and I can make stuff happen if I then after the show or at the interval just turn up at the merch stand and just stand there and go by the way guys do you want to sell do you want to buy some of my uh, t-shirts uh, I've got a dvd here blah blah, blah. I, I lose that mystique and that's how that's, I genuinely felt that like when I was big, uh, in the early stages of my career I wanted to take what Triple H was doing at that time. And it, it's not just him. There's so many people before that that Rick Flair used to do all the time. Uh, I mean, Rick Flair, admittedly recently, has said he's lost so much money because he tried to live his lifestyle. Because if he didn't well, live his gimmick, if he didn't live his gimmick, it, you know, his mystique is gone. I mean, you're, you're not the limousine riding, jet flying son of a gun because I saw you drive a Ford Fiesta. You know, <laughs> so and I, I yeah, so there's a lot of it. There's a there's a lot of it that you know, if we if we show ourselves too much to the to the audience, then a lot of that mystique is taken away. I mean, don't get me wrong, I can understand why people do it. Uh, you know, there's mouths to feed. This is your you know your income, so you need to go out on the merch stand try and sell some shirts, blah blah. blah. But I always thought if I'm a bad guy. I'm not bringing one bit of merchandise with me. I'm not even making any. Because and I don't, when they do signings at the end, I'm not coming out. Because I don't like you. Why would I come out and sign your stuff? Um, but that's what Triple H was really good at. And that's why in this match, especially.
1: So your first match, you were watching it as a fan. And you lay in bed pondering, like, what's going to happen next? You say with this yeah. one, it was just as you were starting your wrestling training. Was there something from this match that you took into your next training session? If you watch Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels is possibly the best person,
0: the best entertainer to ever have done it, in my honest opinion. Shawn Michaels is the best. Um, Now, the little nuances, that's what I took from this. So when Shawn Michaels goes to the top rope to to give an elbow drop. He doesn't just climb up to the top rope and give an elbow drop. No. On his way up to the top rope, he pauses and he looks at the crowd and that gets a bigger reaction than the elbow drop itself. And I remember thinking, that's unbelievable because that's what's drawing people into this match. It's not the moves. I mean, the moves are pretty cool and people want to see you win. But it's that connection with the audience and that stuff. And I mean, it's so hard to teach that in a training school because there is no audience. And even if you try and pretend to have an audience like the WLE have now, I mean, it just looks fake. And, you know, we never know what's actually working and what's not working. Um, that kind of stuff, you only get to learn in front of audiences. The little things in between the moves, I thought, this is what, what's making wrestling. The moves itself aren't making wrestling. It's the little things in between the moves. The, the, because the bits in between, the stuff that fills the gap, that's what sells the characters. And for me, it's always been about the characters. I always say that the people who have made the most money in wrestling, if you think about it, Hulk Hogan, the Stone Cold, the Rock, John Cena, not necessarily been the best wrestlers. They've, they've, $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. this is one of the more anticipated desert island grabs that we've done because of course not obviously with people who listen but also with the office because you'll be very familiar Ad- with adam Pachisi, jack the Java, and ross who were part of wcpw along with yourself how did you come to be a part of uh, wcpw
0: Oh my. Okay. So there were, there's a gentleman by the name of Dan Richardson um, who was helping to book talent for a promotion, upcoming promotion. And he told me that it was called WCPW. I happen to have good relations with Dan and he kind of knew that I was good as a character and he said that what we're going to do is we're going to film this and we're going to put it on YouTube so we want characters. I thought fantastic. That is going to get zero views. I will turn up and I will wrestle. I will happily take your money and then I will leave. That is what I thought this would be. I turned up first day and I thought, okay, it's got quite a few good people on there. Oh, Jay Letho's here as well. We've also got who is now Killian Dane, big demo here. There's a good crop of talent here. Joseph Connors is here. Um, yeah, this they've, got, they've assembled a nice little nice little card, um, a nice little roster. Uh, but we are wrestling in a warehouse and as soon as you go backstage, it had been raining. There's water everywhere. I they get you're really seriously going to film this and put it on YouTube. This is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So I was still – I mean, I didn't know what war culture was. I'm not going to lie. So I turned up and I saw i saw Adam Pacini. I saw Jack. I saw people like that. And I, I remember thinking, who are these guys? Like, who do they think they are? Because what, I remember Jack was a manager. Jack was a manager. And I, was, I remember thinking, who is this guy and who – who do you think he is? So, I mean, like who? He's just coming in here, well, like he's not had any training, anything at all, just because he's some sort of a YouTube person. He thinks he can just, you know, be a manager all of a sudden. That was lit- literally what I thought of the company at the time. I remember thinking, before I went out there and wrestled, I remember thinking this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I'm just going to happily turn up, wrestle in this stupid warehouse, and I'll leave, and that'll be the end of that. We don't need to worry about WCPW anymore. Little did I know. That first of all, I want to say, as we were filming these first first um, set of shows, Jack, uh, Adam Pacitti, uh Ross didn't actually turn up to those, but he was doing the commentary for the for the matches. But you know, Jack and Adam Pachetti, both those guys, whenever you gave them feedback, they were so re- receptive of this feedback, and they were they were even if it was like constructive criticism, but like it was quite criticizing they were still very receptive. And I remember thinking, these guys are decent guys. They, you know, they want to learn. They, they admittedly have, well, they, they've just told us that they don't know exactly what they're doing, but they want to learn. So, you know, I, I start to think these guys are decent guys. Um But I still remember going out there and wrestling, and I remember, well, before I went out there the first time, I remember thinking this is a warehouse in the middle of nowhere on a, I think it was like a Thursday afternoon, the first show. And I'm thinking, who's going to turn up to this? This is absolutely ridiculous. Turned up 250 people in this little warehouse. I was I was in awe, because back in those days, 250 people was a decent amount. I mean, 250 people was a good crowd. And it's, when they filmed it, if you go back and watch it, the first ever show, if you watch it, the crowd, it looks absolutely packed. And I I remember thinking, because I wasn't familiar with YouTube or anything like that, and I remember thinking, how on earth have they drawn these many people on a weekday? We don't get these many people, or other people don't get these many people on a weekend. Um, and that's when i knew there was something that i wasn't adding up here uh, you know it's something that hadn't clicked for me then we we filmed the rest of the shows and the first show went out on air looked at twitter everybody's talking about wcpw they've just put me on a show in front of hundreds of thousands of people and You know, I'm so grateful for that opportunity because now when I look back at it, I think the first set of tapings, I honestly did not think it was going to be like this. And I pretty much treated it just like, oh, it's any other job. I'll just take the money and go. But... The, the the response was so positive and everyone was so good about it. And I remember I was the bad guy. Everybody tweeting about me, saying, "Oh, this guy, we hate this guy." and Blah blah. And I was like, "This is amazing. This is actually like it's modernizing wrestling because it doesn't need to be on TV now. I, I mean, my nephew's, you know, 11 years old doesn't watch TV. All he watches is YouTube. So if you can stick a show on YouTube. I mean, you're modernizing wrestling. So, um, I, But I didn't realize that at the time, but all the guys were absolutely brilliant. I mean, from the top down, everybody was really good. But Adam Adam Pacitti always sticks out to me because I remember in the back, I was giving him quite a bit of constructive criticism. And I was like, when you're delivering this message, you need to make sure you pause here and you need to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I could have come across, like, really bitter or really, like, angry, but his he was so positive. He was just like, okay, no, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. I will take that. And he went out there and did exactly that. And I thought these these are a good bunch of guys. So I've got plenty of time for them because they created a following that was unreal. And it's followed them now into Cultaholic, which I'm so you know ecstatic ec- ecstatic for them because it couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of guys. Honestly, I've got I've, I've got all the time for them. That's why I'm doing this. I wouldn't do this for anybody else wouldn't do this for anybody that's not even for you Tom. It's just for absolutely adam
1: G. and yeah there you go <laughs> as it should be i was watching as a fan okay. you would have guys okay. like kurt angle and cody rhodes coming in and and you'd have Bret hart turn up and jim ross on commentary and they would seem to break the bank to bring in these names from all over the world they did a wrestling world cup which featured some of the best from every corner of the planet but there was this nucleus of people away from uh, the the guys like adam and jack there was this nucleus of wrestlers from the north of England People really gravitated towards you did you find that your role increased organically as part of WCPW because the reaction was so good for you?
0: I mean if you think about why I was brought in I mean if you I mean I was brought in just to be a bad guy that, that was my role I was supposed to take Gabriel Kidd as my servant and it worked everybody hated me you know my Twitter feed Still tells me that people hate me, and that's my job. I'm here to not get liked. Did some vignette myself and Gabriel Kid. Those backstage vignettes allowed us to show our characters to the crowd to the point where people appreciated the characters, so they can they understand Prince Amin and they no longer well they do hate Prince Amin, but. You know, they understand Prince Me and they can see Gabriel Kid, and they feel really sorry for Gabriel Kid. But we became like an integral part to the show. Like people are looking forward to just see what we were doing next. Because I remember at one point I, did, I refused to take, you know, to walk to places. I said just jump on his back and... He used to, like, walk me places. Um, I also remember we were at a monument in Newcastle one time, and I was telling him to shoo off the pigeons because this is a monument of the great Prince Amin, uh, and he's there shooing the pigeons. And just we're doing ridiculous stuff like that to tell the story, but he was getting a really, really good reaction. And he ended up being like, oh, well, you know, we enjoy watching you, so we're not going to exactly cheer you, but, you know, we're we we don't hate you as much, and because that happened, we needed we needed to change what me and Gabriel Kidd were doing. And I, honestly, the best thing I ever did it ever did in wrestling at all was my storyline with Gabriel Kidd. I mean, the whole circle that was like a three year. Circle The whole circle that we we had with Gabriel Kidd, the fact that he was fighting for my, you know, just to be accepted as a peer and I kept rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. I remember the first time that I actually accepted him as my peer and I hugged him. It was after a match that Gabriel Kidd had with Doug Williams and I hugged him. And the whole, it was Newcastle O2 Academy, the whole place erupted. They went mental. And I remember, I always remember Dave Bradshaw. We do, Dave Bradshaw is fantastic at commentary. Compare him to Jim Ross, that kind of level. But he's there like, Prince Amin has a heart after all. And then they cut, they fade away. And I was like, this is brilliant. Um, and then, but all that story, I mean, it really got me, it, it got me accepted with the crowd. Um and people just start to you know people start to understand that this guy may be a bit of a prick but he's a lovable prick he's all right he's all right it's prince i mean so yeah that's i mean it's unbelievable that ride because if you think about it, my whole aim, I never at any point was it discussed that Prince I you need to become a good guy now or we're aiming towards being a good guy. It just kinda happened naturally. I never really changed my characteristics either. I was always doing I was always doing dastardly deeds, but now they're getting cheered and <laughs> it's it's crazy. I mean it was thoroughly enjoyable. But when I said shoe pigeons, uh, when we were filming that vignette um, what I tried when I said to him, "Oh, you need to shoot these pigeons away," and it was in front of everybody. Like we didn't hire out the monument to a private, and then just me and Gabriel Kidd just privately do this. You know, the normal casual public were in the streets, and there's me in Prince Amin gear and Gabriel Kid dressed in Prince Amin gear um, <laughs> just shooing pigeons, and he just—I remember him turning to me and going, Look, is this? I'm afraid this make me gonna look real crap. Um, I mean, and I was like, don't worry about the crowd, don't worry about the public. It's fine. We'll just film this and go. And he's like, no, not for the public. I'm afraid it might not make me look so good, um, and my future might not be so good at WCPW. And I, I just had to kind of set him aside and just try and explain where we were going with the story, what the purpose of the story was, and in order for him to have this miraculous comeback, he needed to taste the ultimate lowest of the lows. Like, he needed to be degraded so much so that when his comeback happens, it means so much more. Because if he never accepted that, the servant role, and he just refused all the time, refused all the time, and then came back, well, they knew that was going to happen anyway. But, for him to accept the servant role and be willing to do the the silliest things, the most degrading things, his comeback meant so much. And I think he says this to me all the time. uh, um, Like, I owe him a lot. I have to say that. I owe him a lot. But he he always says he owes me a lot as well. I think we we complemented each other brilliantly. It was a perfect partnership.
1: Is there somebody that you met while at WCPW that you got along with that you didn't expect to?
0: I mean, obviously, you've got to say Cody Rhodes here. I mean... He's a legend. He actually is a legend. Uh, he's such a nice guy. I mean, he came here. I remember he wrestled Kerr Angle in in Altringham and we had a crowd of two and a half thousand people there. And I... I'm not going to say that we had anything to do with that draw. I mean, we might have had something to do with that draw. But the fact that we've got Kurt Angle versus Cody Rhodes, that is a huge draw. And he's backstage. I mean, a lot of people. I see a lot of people. But he just came out of WWE, and his name is fresh. And, you know, he's doing all this amazing stuff on the indies. And he's just drawn us this massive crowd or helped drawn us this massive crowd. And he could be he could possibly be like one of the biggest independent stars right now. He doesn't need to interact with us minions, as little peasants, as I would say. Um, but he was there with the boys, just, you know, just, just interacting with us. And I remember I just, I used to walk past people. I just, I used to walk past him and I just be like, hey, like an old school thing to say. It's like, Hey, uh, thanks for the, Thanks for the draw, brother, and then just walk away. He <laughs> 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 just, he just uh, thanks for the house, and yeah, he just laughed. He just laughed. but he's such a nice guy because he interacted. He, you know, he went out with us. He, he, uh, you know, went for meals with us, all that kind of stuff. Um, and what was amazing about Cody Rhodes? Is I remember one time, um I was on a, sh- we were on a show in Nottingham, and Gabriel Kidd was going to fight um John Morrison. Oh. Johnny, I can't remember what his name. Was. He has a lot gonna... third
1: yeah, a is John
0: Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he going to fight John Morrison, and John Morrison came in and he was like, "Oh, so what is your deal? What is you know what's happening here?" And like he was going to fight Gabriel Kidd. So it's like, well, wh- why are you there? And all, he was asking all these questions, which he's entitled to do. He wants to try and put something together. Cody Rhodes inter- intercepted, and Cody Rhodes used to say, "Oh, well, this guy, he's this guy's servant, but uh, but, and he's trying to be his peer." And but and finally this guy's starting to acknowledge him and, and he filled out the whole situation and I couldn't believe that Cody Rhodes would spend time to do that um, and yeah lovely guy honestly I've got all the t- I've got nothing but good things to say about Cody Rhodes
1: as well as yeah. taking a DVD with three wrestling matches onto the island you're also allowed to take with you a movie, an album, and a luxury item. Oh, wow. So, uh, when I say to you a movie, sir, what's the first sort of movie that comes to your mind?
0: Okay. <clears throat> the first movie that comes to mind is The Green Mile. Now, I'm not. I'm. I'm just going to say this. This isn't very manly of me. I'm, I'm not here to try and show people how manly I am, but I cry every time I watch that movie. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I've seen it so many times, I pretty much know it word for word. So that's the one, That's the first movie that comes to mind, um, The Green Mile. When you say music, though, this is where it's really controversial. Okay. Because I'm going to say, going to say No Strings Attached album by N Sync.
1: Wow! okay.
0: And that's that's a shoe, brother. That's a shoe, brother. I'm telling you, it's a shoe. I've... Is perfect for long road journeys. It's just sing-along music. You just, you know, it's, you've got nothing else to do. Especially when it's me. And when I finally learned how to drive, and I was travelling up and down trying to do my training. There's just me in a car travelling a hundred miles there, a hundred miles back. I needed something to keep me occupied. NSYNC, sync, no strings attached. Know the album word for word. Brilliant. When you're not, um, to every single... when you're
1: not carpooling with sync. who's your favorite wrestler to carpool with?
0: Oh, well, I'll shut up without a shadow of doubt, Martin Kirby. Nice. 100, percent 100. You, know, I, I, I worry about people. You know, if me and Kirby are backstage, I worry about everybody else because we are always going to be up to some shenanigans. 100, <laughs> percent we will do something, and we will cause havoc. And yeah. He's 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 one, he's one of my favorite people to travel with, and he's also one of my favorite wrestlers. I think I'll I'll get back to him in a second. I'll get back to
1: him. Oh, okay, okay. Note it, note it. <laughs> and how about a luxury item? Just a comfort from home that that either is functional or just makes you feel better.
0: I'm gonna bring my turban. Nice. There you go. Um, can I bring my turban and my flying carpet?
1: Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> why, would yeah, you wanna no, the, why would you want to bring Why would you want to bring the turban?
0: I'll tell you, I'll tell you honestly why, because I I don't know about how other wrestlers feel, but when I bring out my carpet, when I bring out my turban, when I wear the turban, um, I just feel like this indestructible person. I feel unbelievable. I don't care what's wrong with my day to day lives. There's many things wrong with it. But, um, as soon as I wear my turban, I come out with my magic carpet. That's it. I feel indestructible. So if I was alone on a desert island, I'd want to feel indestructible. So I'm going to bring my turban and I'm going to bring my magic carpet. And hopefully the magic carpet might fly me to some place where it's heavily populated and I don't have to live alone. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Where's um, where's the turban from? It's actually from India. Um, The the turban itself is nothing to do with royalty. Um, The turban itself is is used for weddings uh and ceremonies so you know the the groom would wear this big turban um and you know it's it's a the big big wedding and every, every Indian wedding is a huge wedding you invite your friends of your friends of your friends of your friends and then their friends and it's just huge you get like hundreds of people turn up um it's a really 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 big deal i mean it's it should be. It should be anyway. But like I think in the Indian culture, it's always like you only get married once, and you know no matter what goes wrong, there's no such really such thing as divorce. How good or bad that might be, but there's no such thing as divorce. You just kind of that's it. You're de- this is it. You're married. You got to deal with everything from now on. So it's the biggest ordeal because it's the parents giving the daughter away. Um, the parents of the the groom now receiving another. Uh, a girl I'll, it's it's such a big display so one way to stand out when there's 400 people um is to wear a huge turban and you know the the bride will wear really multi multicolored clothing and it's just one big show um but that's that's what it actually is it's a, it's a turban that's used for um for wedding purposes, but it looks glorious. And <laughs> if you didn't know otherwise, you would assume it's to do with royalty. So that's my turban. That's why I would I'd want it, because it looks amazing and makes me feel amazing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when I first started I thought, well, I'm a prince from India, so I have to wear it. And, you know, it, and I, maybe, like, looking back on it now, or if I was starting wrestling now, maybe I wouldn't have a turban. But it, it's become a part of me. And that, as you said, like, you can't associate Prince Amin without a turban now. It's my comfort really more than anything else. I wear a turban because I, want, I choose to wear a turban, not because anybody's telling me to wear a turban. And then that's the thing. When I first did the flying carpet, um... A lot of people were like, wow, I can't believe they're making Prince Mean do a flying carpet. And I was like, well, that was actually my idea, guys. <laughs> I kind of wanted to do the flying carpet. No one told me to do a flying carpet. I wouldn't do anything unless I was 100% comfortable with that. Um, and I'm 100% comfortable with wearing my turban and doing the magic carpet.
1: Why do you say that you wouldn't do it now if, you, if you're starting out again?
0: Okay, this is, uh, we're opening up a can of worms here, Tom. Are we really going Only, if, you, only going... if
1: you're happy but... to open said worms, we don't have to.
0: No, I will, I will happily, I will happily. When I first started, I mean, bear in mind, this is early 2000, so 2001, 2002. If you were a wrestler, if you were a wrestler which wasn't white, you would be referred to as Ted. It doesn't matter what your name was, you'd be referred to as Ted. I presume, I don't know the exact origin, but I presume it's because Ted is like a like a teddy bear and you're know, of brown colour. So, and, that, and that's, that's kind of just the norm. I mean, people used to say that without even realising the connotations of it. They just, oh, that Ted, oh, how's it going, Ted? And me, being as ignorant as I was, would acknowledge people when they said, oh, Ted, how's it going? And I'd be like, oh, I'm good, thanks. Um... I had no idea what it meant at the time. And it's like and for me, if I'm honest with you, at that time, especially at that time, a person from an you know, Indian descent to make it into British wrestling was kind of unheard of. I mean there wasn't many out there. There wasn't if any. Um I think there was me and R. J. Singh that came about quite close to each other. Before that I don't think there was many. Um at all, so I was kind of like, I just I love wrestling that much that I just want to be a part of it. So I kind of I might have accepted things that I totally would not have right now, just because I was like, oh well, I don't want to blow my opportunity to be in wrestling. Um, so. <laughs> when I first started wrestling and when I first became Prince Amin and I mean, this was my thing and I felt really bad about this as well because we talk about Los Povillos where I pretended to be a Mexican twin the reason I wanted to be pretend to be a Mexican twin is because I didn't want people to realize I'm of Indian descent because I almost felt ashamed of being from Indian descent because there's not many wrestlers coming from Indian descent and so I was like well I'm just going to pretend I'm Mexican for a bit and I did that for like three or four years. And then finally, I was convinced to do Prince Amin. Well, I was tra- convinced to play my Indian character uh, or convinced to do me. And I thought, okay, so if I'm doing me, and it was this was my decision, nobody else's. If I'm doing me, I'm going to ramp it up so that I am the most Indian-looking person. I am going to be, like, over-the-top, you know, daft and silly, uh, like, proper, you know, just throw out this whole racial stereotypes are people and at the time i thought that's brilliant and this is why i was like throughout my like first 10 years of my career i was a bad guy because it was also ingrained in me that if you're not white or like an old english terminology to describe a baby face is blue eye so if you're a blue eye you're a good guy so what that says is if you don't have blue eyes you're not a good guy. And how many people? Oh, in in when we talk about race and talk about you know people their skin colours. I mean, how many skin colours have blue eyes? There's only one skin colour that has blue eyes. So uh, in my first ten years of career, uh, 10, ten years of my career, I just thought, okay, I'm the bad guy. I just assumed I was a bad guy. That's it. Like I, it never was even discussed with me. He'd be like, you're up against this guy. Okay, cool. I'd I'd just say, okay, well I'm the bad guy. I know it and I'd go out there and just do all my evil deeds I must say though when I went out there I never liked to draw even though it's so stupid because I used to go out there dressed with everything I always made it a point that I would never let race be the reason why people hate me I always wanted people to hate me because I am rich and I am arrogant and I think I'm better than people and blah de blah blah, blah. Um, I never wanted race to be an issue but don't get me wrong it did happen and I probably helped helped that come out at times because of the way I was dressed. And I, that, that's why I, nowadays I would not wear the same thing. And this is what, what I always say, because Amir Jordan, or Bill Bilal, as, as I know him, Billy, um, I, I'm really proud of him because he goes out there and he's allowed to be a good guy. As soon as, as, soon as he comes onto the scene, he's, he's a good guy. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. He kind of makes me feel good about myself because I think I rode a wave there where we're taking out the old backward thinking and going into the new way of thinking, the more logical way of thinking. So I kind of rode the wave to allow people like Billy to come out there and just be a good guy straight away because reverse, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't even an option. You know, you would be a bad guy. Um, So that now, if I was to come into wrestling now, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm proud of my culture and I would still like to wear a lot of things, you know, to embrace my culture but I probably wouldn't go as over the top as I did uh, because I did it back then to try and you know sell my character as like I'm a rich Indian prince um I don't think it's needed now I think it I think it kind of draws unwanted attention to it but uh but the good news is I've used it to you know help people I, that's how I would like to think I've I've used it and people realize that you know it's It's not just a race thing. This guy's Prince Amin and these guys have actually come round from booing me to cheering me. So, you know, it's, yeah, I'd like to think I've done good that way. But um, if there's anything notable in my career, that's that's probably what I I want to go down for. You know, just creating opportunities when there wasn't any really. There's a lot of things that are going on in the world at the moment that we kind of need to discuss. So,
1: What's been incredible over the last few weeks is that people are talking now
0: for years people have been talking and nothing has really changed and like i'm in a relationship with my partner my fiance. she's white i've been with her for like what 11 12 years we now have a uh, mixed race um or you know mixed race nine months old um baby and i'd like to think that when he grows up he doesn't even need to worry Like i just look at i just look at my baby right now and when he wakes up in the morning he looks at me and he smiles right he will also look at my partner and smile he does not know at all any difference between us because you know we are just two humans and we both love him as I, I, And at the end of the day, that's all it is. What's been happening before is that we've had so many people just say things that no one's actually learned from it. Whereas I think now it's easy to, it's easy to tell people like, People are starting to relate. Now we live in a society where people are so much more accepting. I see so much positive stuff on social media now. There's always going to be idiots out there, but there's so much positive stuff. And the Asian culture or the Indian culture or the Muslim culture, stuff like that, we have had our bad times. But at this moment in time, it is really about black lives. I just want to mention that because I can comment on my experiences of times where I felt like, you know, I've been racially abused. But I do want to say that, like, at this moment in time we need to focus on the black lives because don't get me wrong the the muslim culture the asian culture anything like that that'll probably come back my guess cycle but we do really focus because right now especially what's happening in the states and in the uk to be fair um it's so hard to explain to people and and, and there's so many people that want to do good but it's so hard to explain to them like how to do good or how what we what we would feel or what a certain person will feel and until you felt it it's it's hard for people to relate and i will say that it is really hard for people to relate but try your best to relate because if you can try and relate then you're learning and if you're learning
1: then you might be able to help what would you like to say to young prince Amin?
0: <clears throat> what i would i said this to uh I said this to uh, a lady that I was traveling with um, who mentioned that she had been, she was verbally abused, um, just, you know, crude things said. And I just, I remember saying, um, well, why, why are you involved in, like, why did you stick around? Why are you still involved in wrestling? And her response to that was because, you know, I'm not going to let some idiot um, dictate to me that I can't do something that I love to do. And that's exactly what I would say to my, to young Prince Me now. I'd say, look, you need to stand up. Don't let these idiots stop you from doing something that you'd love to do. And that that was really my only other option at the time. It's because I, I felt I was in a position where if I really didn't like this, then I just need to stop wrestling. So I'm kind of glad I stuck with it. But what I would say to myself is, and stand up a bit more I have stood up at times I've had people say to me "You oh, know, the headdress you know the, the turban isn't working can you put on one of those things that like the Taliban wear which is like a tea cloth and I was I was absolutely outraged to the point where I'm like that's not happening so if you want me on the show you're going to have me as Prince Me, or else you don't want me or else I'm not going to be on the show and guess what I wasn't on the show um, so that kind of so I did stand up for myself a little bit but what I would say is now especially now, is try and stand up. And not, I don't mean stand up as in cause fights. I mean stand up and just say, look, this isn't acceptable. Just educate people. What we need to do as a whole, you know, as a human race, is just educate everybody about everybody. And, you know, to the point where we don't need to worry about any kind of racial prejudice. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because there's very little i change other than maybe stand up a bit more. You have one
1: more okay. match left for your DVD, sir.
0: I did tell you that I'm going to come back to Martin you Kirby. did!
1: Have we, got, have we got a Kirby match to go in? Uh,
0: let me think of the year. What year was it? So was 2018. 2018. Martin Kirby versus Joseph Connors for the WCPW heavyweight title. Phenomenal. Now, for those of you that are unaware, let me give you the backstory, because this is amazing. So, when... So much like myself, who evolved into a character, uh, when we first started, myself and Martin Kirby, we were just out there amongst all these like big names, like you said, like the Cody Rhodes, the Kurt Angle, the um, you know the Jay Bezos, all this kind of stuff, and we were just out there trying to make a name for ourselves. So we used to go out there and try and say, okay, we're going to work on our character. Martin Kirby goes out there, works on his character. His character is. A really annoying little shite. (laughs) That is his character. And you really just hate him. Absolutely despise him. Because he's just this really little annoying little beggar. And you're like, ah, all Martin Kirby's been doing, he's been doing, you know, comedy matches, wearing dresses, all this kind of stuff. He goes out there with Will Ospreay and they steal the show. Finally, we're seeing Martin Kirby the you know the athlete. That was a huge turning point for Martin Kirby. We now know that Martin Kirby can go. He's awesome. So he started getting cheers from the crowd whereas, whereas the general manager at that time of WCPW was Adam Perceep. <laughs> Cultaholic's own. Now he general, a general manager, as a general manager he was you know, he was airing on the side of the good guys and Martin Kirby really used to annoy him. Like, really, you still know him. So as soon as Martin Kirby won the match against Will Ospreay, Martin Kirby start demanding title matches or a rematch with Will Ospreay. So as a way of punishment, I think Eric Bischoff, who was the acting general manager at that time alongside um, Adam Pacitti, Gave Kirby a match, and they said you will have your rematch with Will Osprey. But it's also against uh, Marty Skirl It's also against Travis Bunks, and it's also against Pete dunn in a five-way match. Martin Kirby ends up winning the entire match because the stipulation was if they win that match. oh sorry, no, that wasn't stipulation. He, Martin Kirby ends up winning the match, and that's when Martin Kirby decides. To really amp up the fact that he needs to get a title shot, title shot, title shot. So he starts doing silly things like doing Kirby He used to come out there in the middle of the match uh, and just start singing karaoke, um, you know, just hold up the show or handcuff, handcuff himself to the ropes and, you know, so that the show can't go on. Adam Puccini finally gives in and gives him a title match against Joseph, Con- Joseph Connors. On the flip side to that, Joseph Connors started off as a relatively nice guy, relatively nice guy. He was um, you know, feuding with Joe Henry at the time, uh and then a really evil side of Joe uh, Joseph Connors came out. The really like possessive side. He needed the world title. Um and he he became the champion and he became this evil like evil um bad guy and it was it was such a sight because he used to look at the title like my precious and he was His character was amazing. I mean, the reason why I'm so in-depth with these characters, I'll explain to you in a second, but um, these two guys then have a match at um, Refuse to Lose 2018. Now, the reason why I'm so involved in these characters is because this is the kind of stuff that we as performers used to work on backstage. We used to talk to each other and we used to say, okay, what, what do you think I can do with this? Or where do you think I can go? Because they don't have the same name power as um, a Kurt Angle. I mean, if I was looking at the card the other day, and who else was on the card on them, Uh I refused to lose, 2018, was Minoru Suzuki. Um, we had Cody Rhodes against Doug Williams. Uh, Rampage Brown was on the card. And then the main event was, I think, Kurt Angle and Joe Henry. And then there was also uh, Nixon Newell was going to NXT, now she was on it as well. I mean, when you look at that card, you think, okay, Kurt Angle's a huge name. You look at that card and think, well, Cody Rhodes is a huge name. Alberto Alpatron is a huge name. Minoru Suzuki is a huge name. But the match that got much of the night and the match that the crowd were fully invested in were two homegrown talents. It was Joseph Connors versus Martin Kirby and this huge storyline that has been on the YouTube shows, uh, it's been on everything, um, but like the whole crowd were that invested that when Martin Kirby finally made his entrance, the crowd all, Martin Kirby, nobody dished these out by the way, the crowd all bought Pink um, glow sticks. They bought them themselves to support Martin Kirby, uh, and that itself is insane. There's the fact that people are just going out of their way to just buy gold glow sticks to support Mike and Kirby. I and mean, When he came out to his entrance, everybody held up the glow sticks. It was absolutely amazing. They go out and have a phenomenal match. Phenomenal match. Two guys, the pace is just unbelievable. They go out for about half an hour I think and the pace unbelievable. On commentary, we've got Jim Cornette and Jim Ross as well calling the show. And it's, this, this is two guys I grew up with. You know, then the two guys, like I remember Joseph Connors when he was this chubby kid, and now he's just this absolute superstar. And Martin Kirby, like I remember we used to go training and we used to like travel, we, I've traveled everywhere with Martin Kirby. And now he's just looking like this absolute star in, in, in this ring. And they go out there and have a phenomenal match. And it's topped off by one of the most iconic moments in WCPW history, and that is Kirby going for the Zoidberg elbow. He's never hit it. He's never hit it up until this point. And this is, if there's ever a moment to hit it, it is now, because it's for the title. He goes on the top rope. Well, he goes on the middle rope. He walks across the ropes, and he's about to hit the Zoidberg elbow. And Adam Pachiti out of nowhere, pushes martin kirby off the ropes now you got to understand that martin kirby at this point was a super face like he's the biggest face in the, con- the company and then you've got adam pacitti who tends to side with the good guys even though he doesn't really like martin kirby and he annoys him he's still you know i'll, I'll get on with him adam pacitti was so hated after that, he stood up on the apron and all the funds that brought these glow sticks to start hurling these glow sticks at Adam Pachiti. And there was this huge rain of pink glow sticks at Adam Pachiti. I, I, when, you, when you watch it back, I'm so, I'm so surprised that Adam didn't, like, took out of the way of a few. Because there's a few that's, like, hitting him in the eyebrow and, like, hitting him in his lip and everything. And he just stood there and took it all. And, honestly, that is the, one of the best moments in in what WCPW history it really is like so good and the reason why I think it's one of the best and it's not the best is because we didn't need for that to happen we didn't need any crazy uh, talent from um you know America or, or people who have just recently been on WWE or you know whatever um we didn't need anything like that all we needed was two homegrown talents along with our general manager to go out there and tell a story and that was the biggest thing like on the night it was a match of the night but it's arguably like the match of what culture pro wrestling it was that good and i'm so proud of them two guys because we as a group were so close to each other but we just wanted to you know we just wanted everything to succeed we wanted everybody to be good so like and we were never we no one was ever bigger than the other person. So Joseph Connors was the champion, and he used to come up to me, who was like lower mid-card, if anything, and be like, oh, do you think this looks good? Or do you think this you know, gear looks good? Or what do you think I should do after this move? And, you know, it, everyone shared that mentality. And then these guys are going out there, two of my you know, good friends and great performers, going out there and absolutely stealing the show. Absol- I, it's one of the best matches I've seen in life,
1: not going to lie. Great. It's uh, it's a moment in time when you watch petite getting glow It's it's as you, it's as you said, really at the beginning of the of the interview, where you say that so much of wrestling is about moments rather than the wrestling.
0: Uh, it, if there's one thing I can, I do often do training seminars, and. The first thing I also say, I always say to people is that if you want to learn to wrestle, don't train with me, because <laughs> I cannot wrestle. <laughs> what, I can, what I can do, though, is I can help you develop a character. And developing a character, everyone always thinks, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk on the microphone." No, that's not developing a character. Developing a character is understanding how your character would walk, how your character would react to any given situation. You know, how wh- how does your character feel when you know he's just beating up some dude um, in the ring? What does your characters look like? Um, there's so many things. That, like this that are forgotten like for example I go back to with my first match that I mentioned on this dvd the rock versus uh Austin as soon as the rock realizes that Vince McMahon is out there because what happens is the rock goes for a pin and Vince McMahon pulls Stone Cold off that's the first thing that we notice that Vince McMahon do that looks like he's helping Stone Cold it's very easy for the crowd to just take over that situation But if you look at The Rock, The Rock sells the fact that he's been pulled off and then looks directly at Vince McMahon. And I believe he mutters to himself a swear word that I won't reiterate, but you can see the anger in his eyes. That's wrestling. I I can teach you that kind of stuff. I can't can't teach you how to wrestle, (laughs) but I can teach you that kind of stuff. When it comes down to this, though, this is why that Adam Pachiti thing was so great. Because we've got three characters there that we fully, fully understand. We fully understand these three characters. But then for Adam Pacitti to change course, it goes so much against what he was doing as a general manager. like. All right, he didn't like Kirby all that much because he was annoying. But he was still really very much like I look after the good guys type of general manager. And for him to do that was so against the grain that it caused a reaction, the glow sticks. And that moment, as you said, forever... I mean, we've had so many people on the show. We've had Jim Ross calling the action. We've had Kurt Angle. We've had all these crazy people who have now gone on to do crazy things. Um, we've had Drew McIntyre, current WWE champion on the shows. That moment will go down as the most iconic moment.
1: And that seems like a, a really nice place to, to start to wrap up this interview. Um, I want to say thank you to you personally, just, not just for doing this, but uh, as somebody who... Has dabbled and continues to dabble uh, in in aspects of wrestling. You and I have, have worked on the same shows. We've been opposite sides of the ring, kind of, on at least one occasion. Yeah. And uh, um, I've always been really grateful to you taking time, as you have done with others, uh, to to guide yeah. me a little bit because it's it's the wild west, and I'm aware that you know I'm I'm in a whole new universe. And you've always been really wonderful with me, and I've always appreciated that.
0: No, it's not a problem. I mean, I look at someone who has a passion and who wants to learn. I think that's my first test with anybody is let's give them some constructive criticism. Let's see how they take it. If they take it on board, then I've got all the time in the world for you. And you've done that. And same with I can say that reiterate that to all the cultaholic guys whenever we've had chats and i've given them criticism they've all taken it all on board and i'm not saying i'm perfected by any means and i'm open to constructive criticism myself so if you have any towards me feel free tom to let me know how to improve because we if If we improve as a team, we'll all improve, right?
1: We all improve together. Um, The only thing I say is, uh, could we not talk for another five hours? But I feel like it would ruin people's bandwidth. So we may have to keep (laughs) that somewhat shorter. Where can people find out all about you, sir? Um, How about you can't? (laughs) Um, uh, I'm done with wrestling. This is where you retire um, now. This is it.
0: Yeah, this is it. This is my retirement oh. speech. No, um, I am occasionally doing some stuff uh, with my body allows and my 9 months um, old allows. And it's just mainly on Twitter. That's my only thing. I don't have any other really social media. I do have stuff, but I don't use it. I just use Twitter. So it's at, at real Prince Amin. It's the real one, not some fake one, because I believe somebody who's already a Prince Amin. How, How dare, dare they, they liars? Uh, Exactly. <laughs> so I'm uh, real printing me on Twitter. Uh, but please, if any, any feedback, anything like that, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm always open to say hi. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.